there's nothing wrong with not being from the U.S. There's nothing yeah. wrong with not coming from an Ivy League school. There's nothing wrong with not landing that, you know, that job that you really mm-hmm. wanted to, to get. Like there are second opportunities. And if you if you connect and if you really build relationships with people like down the road, like you'll end up wherever you were meant to end up. Mm-hmm. As a recruiter, like I, I always I was like, we're building teams, not companies, right? Like mm-hmm. I, did, I don't, I didn't build Pinterest. I built great teams. Welcome to Latinx in Power, a podcast hosted by Thaisa Fernandes. Welcome to Latinx in Power. It's an honor to have Linda Ruiz David today. Obrigada, Thaisa. It's such a pleasure to be here. So good finally meeting you. Linda is an industrial engineer from Mexico City. She also studied Italian and arts in Spain, Germany, Austria, France, Italy, and England. Linda is currently working as a principal recruiter at Growth by Design. She founded and led Pinterest's first Latinx and Hispanic community, Todos Pincluidos. Linda works on creating inclusive, empathetic, and fun work cultures. She was also on the board for Latinas in Tech, worked at IBM, General Electric, among others. And it's such an honor to have you. Thank you so much, Thaisa. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. And I love that you've created this space for people to really share their, share their story and, you know, motivate others to do the same. Starting from the beginning, where does your life story begin? Well, uh, I'm an elder millennial. Um, I actually did look uh, younger than I, than I am. But yeah, I was born in Mexico City and I was born into a family that was bicultural. Um, my grandma was American. My, my grandfather was... Mexican and on my my dad's side everybody was um Latinx um my uh-huh. grandmother was from Puerto Rico um and my my grandfather was Mexican as well we grew up in a family where everybody you know really embraced like different cultures and loved to travel when i was around one year years old um i my family moved to Los Angeles because my dad worked for Mexicana de Aviación which was an airline um, that went under a few years ago. But um, yeah, I grew up uh, bicultural. I grew up speaking both English and Spanish, which is why I don't have an accent. And I get asked that every single time <laughs> I talk to an American person and they are like, wait, why do you not have an accent? I actually remember like being pretty embarrassed to speak Spanish in public when we were in Los Angeles. And then whenever we would be in Mexico and my mom would speak speak English to us, like again, like always very cringeworthy, but I really applaud mm-hmm. and I commend my mom for doing this. Um, you know, you're just like kids when you um, when you feel like these like cringeworthy moments, but mm-hmm. you know, she hadn't really like kind of enforced us to be bilingual like the whole time we were living in, in different parts of, of, of the world. I don't think we would have kept up with, with the language the way that my uh-huh. brother and I did. But yeah, so I grew up uh, in Los Angeles up until I was about 10 years old. We loved growing up there. You know, we're part of like the Girl Scouts and like Boy Scouts and I'm really into like outdoor activities and sports and all of those types of things. But growing up in Los Angeles in the 90s was pretty complicated too. I think people were like kind of pissed off. Like there was a lot of like racial, like racial tension, which we are experiencing now again, um, I feel in this country. But we actually ended up moving back to Mexico City um, because after my dad left uh, Mexicana de Aviación, he bought a gas station and mm-hmm. during the Rodney King riots, that gas station was was destroyed. So um, safe to say that it's been pretty triggering to, you know, hear helicopters here in San Francisco or like see, you know, kind of like damage being done to, you know, property, but also just like violence against like, um, you know, bodies during like protests that turn mm-hmm. 
um, that term violent. But, you know, these are these are protests that are like stemming from like just injustice and inequality in our country. And so um, it's really helped me do some like deep introspective work and emotional work of why this is triggering. I just want to be clear, like it's not the rioting part that, that's been the, the difficult part, part for me to, to swallow. But moving back to kind of like my history, I uh, arrived in Mexico um, around 10 years old and I was in fourth grade and I was always known as La Gringa. Um, or like the American. Um, I had an accent when I arrived, I'm sure. I can't remember, I've never like heard my accent. But I also just really like to play sports with the boys at recess, which I really didn't see anything wrong with either being gringa or being a tomboy or like, you know, playing, playing sports. So I just kept doing that, like kept doing what felt right and what I liked. And that's really kind of the way that I've been living my life since. My mom and my dad and my family were really supportive of kind of this way of life as well. You know, as, as long as you're not hurting anyone and you're being respectful and growing and just kind of like embracing um, your truth like you know just kind of do your thing yeah it was really fun growing up in Mexico as well um, especially like the teenage years when you start you know thinking like you're grown up and you know I, I remember starting to go out like around 15 years old in Acapulco or like Ixtapa and <laughs> I don't think that I um, like grew up too fast uh, but I think that like we just started like enjoying like different parts of like what being like a teenager was and, and this in like really respectful ways like I have I made a lot of like lifelong friends in school like in high school uh, primary school but also like in college I still keep in touch with a lot of them my friend group in Mexico is huge I noticed once I met my husband who I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit more about in a bit how a lot of my friends like you know look like me he he, he kind of noted that you know mm -hmm. like oh my gosh like everybody like all of your friends are white <laughs> and uh, yeah this makes me a part of like a very privileged um, socioeconomic sector there and most of my friends my family and like my circle of influence like look like me and that really like uh, made me realize how much diversity was lacking in my life how much like different perspective and different like lived experiences from from people from other backgrounds I was lacking and so not really until I moved to the to the states um, in 2010 was I able to really start like you know, embracing people from not only like different racial backgrounds, but also like different parts of the world. So I, I moved to San Diego in, in August 2010. And I loved, you know, the concept of just like leaving chaotic, crazy, like busy Mexico City and moving uh -huh. to like the beach and like being able to surf and like have um, activities like that were more outdoor and like more wholesome and not just like going out to the clubs and like kind of drinking. And so uh, like really embracing, I think more of like a, like a California lifestyle, mm -hmm. um, which I always felt like really connected to as well. So yeah, I met my husband uh, about five, six months after I moved to San Diego, we met at a mm -hmm. bar. He is uh, a white man from Georgia. He, his name is Keith. He's, uh, he's actually, he was actually a Navy SEAL mm -hmm. when I met him, uh, which is a part of a very elite, like special operations, like military force. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what a Navy SEAL was. <laughs> what he did. Like, I remember like asking some folks at work, like, you know, what they did. And one of my like mentors was like, and trainers was like, oh my gosh, like, they're the real deal. Like you should keep them close. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I had no exposure to anybody in the military in Mexico, which again, like 
just goes to show like how much, how little like diversity like I had in my group of, of, of people. Five years ago, we moved, left our home in San, in San Diego and moved to San Francisco. I quit my job at the time, which was for a, uh, a, a tuna company, <laughs> a Mexican tuna company that was uh, selling and distributing tuna in the United States. So I was helping them with like business development and like operations here, which was a lot of fun. Like I got to know like a very different industry. Um, pretty closely, but um, I knew that I wanted to also move into the tech sector. So Keith got a, a job right away, which was awesome. Like he's very qualified and of course, like very, very smart and just like has like an exceptional background. It took him a month and it took me four months the first time to find a job in for an agency, a recruiting agency, which was working with other startups. And, um, you know, this, this would give me like exposure to like high growth um, startup culture and just how to, how to like move and navigate talking to candidates and really like learning about like their background and how it would fit into um, the different companies and organizations that we were working with. So that was really, that was really a great opportunity. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. I think you brought a lot of really interesting points that I love to talk more about that. But before we, we go a little bit further on that, I would love to hear from you. This is a question that I always ask and I always have interesting answers. So what does it mean to be a Latina for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I was kind of thinking about this. You know, when you grow up or live outside of the United States, you don't really think of like, oh, I'm a Latina. Became a real part of my identity uh, once I moved here to the U.S. And like, I often highlight it to, again, like break people's norms of what Latinx people look or sound like. So, but when I do think of like Latinas, like, when I, my friends, you know, the people that I left in Mexico um, or have in Mexico or like the many Latinas from different parts of Latin America that I've met here, like I think of generosity of spirit. I feel like warmth in my heart just thinking of how, like how authentically we give. We give our time, we give our care, uh, we give our support and really just our love. Like to anyone who needs it, I think of just how generous we are. Beautiful. I love that. So you, you mentioned that you first got interested about the amount of time it took you to find a job compared to your husband. And this made you like wanted to understand a little bit more about the why. And I love to hear what do you do now and how those two things kind of like combined so after a year of working in this startup, I approached a couple of contacts um, and really allies that I had in like tech sectors, like at Lyft and at Pinterest and other other companies that I had um, spoken with a, a year prior. And I had an opportunity created for me um, at Pinterest as a recruiter. And um, really once I broke in there, which was a year and a half after I had arrived to San Francisco. That's when I really started to like at a greater scale, like notice how much misconception there was around like this kind of like pipeline problem, you know, like, oh, you know, we don't have many Latinas working here because there aren't many Latinas like working in tech. And I was like, 
guys, like I'm like, I'm here, you know? <laughs> and so while I found it like kind of cool to be like the first one, like the first Latina to say, hey, like there's a lot of Latinos like here at Pinterest. Like, why don't we create a community for us? Mm -hmm. um, or like, hey, there's a lot of like Latinos in the workforce. Like, why don't we actually go out and like engage them in a real way instead of just putting out like opportunities on job boards and expecting folks to apply? Like, we know that a lot of these positions are like the descriptors are feel so out of grasp that people don't apply. Like it's, it's happened to me this yeah. year. Um, I'm like, no, I don't have, you know, six years of experience in diversity, equity and inclusion work. Like, no, I don't have like this experience. And my husband's like, oh, just apply. Like, and, you know, like reach out to people like, you know, you know better. And I'm like, oh, you're right. Like I, I do. So while it's cool to be the first, like it's not cool to be the only. When I started building out like our community and like engaging people like within the company to say, hey, like where, like where, where do your friends, like where do your friends work? Like, where are they? Like, where do they live? How can we get like good people to like engage good people? You know, have this like kind of referral funnel, like stop coming from the same people, which is like predominantly like white male or, or like Asian male, right? Um, and so I think like opened up a lot of creative ways for people like within recruiting to actually like start just doing the work. I think there was like a lot of like fear around like, well, how do you know, how do you reach out to like people like Latino folks? And I'm like the same way the same that you way. do. <laughs> Sometimes like I would add, you know, like a oi from Pinterest or like hola from, from Pinterest, um, which really helped like get, uh, get some traction. Um, Cause a lot of people are not getting any sort of like communication in their language. Mm -hmm. So whenever I could like do that, like I would, um, you know, I would just because I'd rather mm -hmm. just show up than not show up, like even if it's yeah. imperfectly. And it, you know, this doesn't, this isn't infallible. Like not every single like Latino that I were, like reached out to, um, you know, came to the company. But I think starting to build those, uh, like those relationships in a nurturing way, which is another thing like Latinas, I think do really, really well, really helped me build, build community, like, and not only for Latinx folks, like from people coming from all sorts of different backgrounds, like all sorts of different, like, um, parts of the country with like different experience and starting to build out these teams and seeing them operate and seeing them like over, like exceed expectations time and time again, like was so fulfilling. Like what happens like after they come through the door, like that environment, uh, like that culture of saying, Hey, like I have through my experience or just like through my education or through like my ideas, you know, this to add and actually being able to like bring it to the table, like was just was so fulfilling. And then the, watching these people grow into like um, into their own and like kind of step into their power was awesome. And then just start to lead and start to bring in like more people. Yeah, it was just really showing people and like leading by example of like, mm -hmm. hey, like this, remember this person that we brought, like, look at me, <laughs> like, don't even go as far as like, look, you know, look at whoever, like people would just like, point to me and be like, yeah, Linda, like, look how far she's, you know, how, how far, how far she's come, how much she's done, um, in this area. And really like the only thing that I wanted to, to do was like do the work and bring people along with uh -huh. me so that they could see and like, they could like realize like why, well, you know, why is it important to like build balanced and like more diverse teams and like, why is it important for us to like be engaged with people throughout the process and afterwards, because we're people. And we're in the business of like creating opportunity for people. And so um, really just kind of like reminding folks of like that work was super important to me and like sharing my story, like being like, hey, like, why did my husband like, you know, get a job uh, one month in without any of the checked boxes or like qualifications? Mm -hmm. Whereas like it took me really, truly to break into like a tech company like a year and a half and start to dissect it. 
and start to dissect like um, how we present these opportunities and how we present like like these opportunities for growth, right? Like starting with building equity into the hiring process. Like let's be mindful of like how like any disparity that could be created in these teams um, and try to mitigate that. Like we have a lot of power in what we do as recruiters um, and as people in like, you know, HR teams. So like, let's, let's use it. I love that. And you, you talked a little bit about that already. Uh, so continue the conversation about inclusion. What are the actions people can take towards inclusion and diversity and how can we have more allies? I think there's a lot of fear in people thinking that they will show up incorrectly. I've seen this like throughout my time here really in tech, like not showing up to like an LGBTQ event because you're not a member of that community, not showing up to like a black African-American event, like our Juneteenth event, because you're not part of that community. Like I would show up. I just want to learn. And I also want to make clear that I, um, that I care. I think by not showing up and not really having like that confidence of, I can have these conversations because I maybe not, I'm not a member of these, of this community, but I have friends or family members or people that I care about, like that are in these communities. And I'm seeing like how they are feeling, you know, during times of inequality or injustice. And like, how can I like help them lessen the burden of what they are feeling over something that they absolutely can't control, like the color of their skin. So really, I think these conversations that are happening within communities are going to continue happening. And I think that if we show up and like become involved, like we can also like educate ourselves on how to have these conversations with our, mm-hmm. with our people, like with our family members, like with our colleagues, with our mm-hmm. friends. And I think it's so important, like now more than ever to really have the courage to, um, to have these conversations. I think like, as we like start to like ravel, like, you know, patriarchal systems Mm -hmm. of like how families are formed and like what the functions are, you know, like women can lead, like women can be the leaders and should be the leaders of their families. And so they should be able to step into the power of like having and like leading these conversations. Really, it it comes from a place of love, right? Like I, I had a, like a really scary like moment when I shared out like just lived experiences and like what, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement meant to me, like with my partner, Keith and his family conservative and and religious and like has is a military family like I honor and respect um everything that they uh that they are and like that they represent in my life but I wanted the same respect and the Mm -hmm. same observance in return and I think um showing them that it was through a letter like through a loving like just outpouring of like what my experiences are I think was able to really like kind of capture like where my perspective, where I was coming from and like, and maybe be able to like be myself, like unapologetically with them in spaces that, you know, before I felt that I couldn't like, you know, we aren't going to talk politics, mm-hmm. but we are going to talk about systemic racism. What I've experienced, like in the 10 years that I've lived here and it's okay to like have to repeat myself and we're going to do this in a respectful manner always. Um, but I think just having that conversation and like having my, you know, husband like activate immediately. I was like, so it like, of course, of course he would, but I was so scared that he might not. And I think, I think we all know like where, like the place we hold in our loved one's hearts. And I think we need to, again, like step into that power of like saying, Hey, like this election was really important for me. This is why, um, this is why I care. Like if you care about me, let's care together, you know, like Mm -hmm. let's kind of share this burden and like do this emotional work together because doing it solo, like in a time of where we are now in a pandemic, 
like it can get really isolating and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are like really grappling with with issues of like identity and like self-worth and like mm-hmm. really like ment- kind of like mental health issues to be honest so yeah like that you know sending out my thoughts and you know in this letter to my family in June like was seen by like most as very brave and courageous and I just mm-hmm. saw it as necessary like there really is no way for me to operate in this life than by being myself. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love to read your your letter. And it's amazing to create those spaces where we can be vulnerable together and share how we are feeling and also coming from a point of curiosity, curiosity to wanting to learn more about something that maybe we don't have enough information but at the same time not expecting certain groups to feed you with information right so because you you can look for information you can google it and you can be part of groups you can listen and we can be part of this community together so i love that so thank you for sharing and what are you most proud of I think I'm most proud of living by my values, you know, like really just mm-hmm. showing up and deciding to change the world through everyday actions of love, compassion, and mm-hmm. gratitude. A lot of times, like a lot of days, these actions are for myself and that's okay. You know, like I, I really feel that I, I practice self-love and care. Like when I realized how burnt out I was and needed a break from, from the work that I was doing from like, just from overall like overall work right i've been working really hard and non-stop since i graduated college in 2007 which mm-hmm. was right before a really bad recession mm-hmm. at that time as well so i i think like i've overcome a lot but i just mm-hmm. haven't taken time to stop like intentionally mm-hmm. stop and so when i left pinterest in august um it was a stance to prove that i i mean a, a, coming from a place of great privilege of course like leaving mm-hmm. a, a a job during a pandemic like is I ha- like I have to say like again like a, an, a- an action that um, I don't think I'd, like everybody uh, would be able to do and I, mm-hmm. and I did not take that lightly at all but again like it was I think one of the greatest acts of like self-love that I've that I've done um, mm-hmm. and it also just like opened up a world of opportunity for me like mm-hmm. outside like how can I like how can I do this work like more broadly like how can I um How can I grow from and learn from new leaders? You know, how can I inspire others to seek agency, to really seek, analyze like their situations, see what stressors are, you know, involved in like their day to day and control what you can. Like Mm -hmm. we're living in a time where there is so little to control. So yeah, being able to make this action, like follow through on it and like really live by this, like I think is what makes me the most proud. You know, hopefully one day my future children and like, my friends' children and like future generations. Like I, I really, I really think as I, as I made this decision, like this world that I see like started unfolding in front of me, Taisa, mm-hmm. I swear. And it was mm-hmm. beautiful. Like people like stopping me on the street to like compliment my, my curly hair. Like people like, you know, stopping on the street, like to talk to my dog. <laughs> like uh-huh. it was just, like these like beautiful interactions with like my community that I like maybe wouldn't have like stopped to like embrace before. But yeah, it's, um, I think this happens when you like activate part of like your soul and it's a spiritual thing. Like I, mm-hmm. I I'm not religious, but I've, I've found like this very spiritual side of me this year and um, I'm learning to like embrace it and like just feel it and like feel through it and like live through it it's been it's been magical 
I love that. And also, I love to hear from your perspective how Latinxes and people with English as a second language can feel more comfortable during the interview process. And speaking about myself, when I moved to the U.S., Six years ago, having gone through this process of like many, many interviews and having English as a second language, it's, it's a challenge because in the end of the day, I feel it's not just having fluent English, right? It's how comfortable you are, not just with the interview process, but also with the language. So I would love to hear your thoughts about it. When I was a recruiter at Pinterest, whenever we brought in or would have like an like an onsite for like Latinx um, folks, like I, I would try to build the like interview process to have someone, if it was someone from Mexico, like maybe I would do lunch with them or like have someone from the team be a part of like, be, be Latinx and so that they could like, at least like during the lunch hour, like decompress and like talk to people like maybe in their own language, you know, like I have this specific example of um, a really good friend of mine, Freddie, who was traveling from Washington, D.C. for the interview. Um, I saw like immediately his na last name was Montaño. So I'm like, mm -hmm. this guy is without a doubt Latino, like he's mm -hmm. one of my guys. So I, um, my friend who was his recruiter was out of town, but I, I reached out to the team and I was like, hey, can I do his like his greet? I loved mm -hmm. doing like the greets for people. So I, you know, went and got Freddie and we were chatting, like showed him around, like we were chatting. And then like when we got to the, to the room, um, instead of just like going through all of the technical stuff, like I started speaking, like I asked him if he spoke Spanish because um, I had noticed the Enya in his name. He said yes. And we started speaking Spanish. Mm -hmm. And for five minutes, we just learned about each other always uses this example like as a reason why he knew like he could be himself and how like that moment like that I was such an icebreaker for him like it made him feel so much more at ease to just be able to see someone else that he could connect with I think as Latinx folks or people with like different um English as their second language seek out recruiters that are Latinx African-American or recruiters are very like we're gonna be like pretty open about like are kind of our identities. So like, if you see someone that you connect with, like reach out to them and be like, hey, I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna interview, like, is there a way that I could like meet with you? Or even mm -hmm. like ask your recruiter, like, hey, I would love to meet with someone from like the Latinx community at Twitter mm -hmm. or like at mm -hmm. Pinterest. Like they're happy to, to oblige. Like we would always want to like offer this up um, to people. And I, I think that ask for it, like you're not gonna get uh -huh. what you don't ask for. And I think like uh -huh. having someone that's coming that you can actually like have an authentic conversation of like, what their process was like to get into the company, like what their processes, what their experiences, what does the community like look like um, once you're at the company, like they're happy to share. So first of all, like if you don't have an interview there yet, like reach out to the folks that you, that you know, like can speak your language um, if they are there. Um, and if not, then just reach out to recruiters, but be mindful of like how you do this. I am such an empath. Um, I always like respond to people that are like reaching out to me on LinkedIn except if they like get the name wrong or if like if it looks like a super like you know copy paste like robotic message like i really have a hard time engaging um mm -hmm. because i don't you know my time is valuable as well but yeah. if it if it's like a nice message like asking for help like as a latina like it's really hard for me to say to say no like of course i want to like hop on the phone and like give you any context or insight and now like during the, you know, like my, my job search too, like I'll reach out to like folks in my network, like that I see in these companies and every single person has like gotten back to me of like, how can I help? 
I love that. Uh, great tips. I never thought about it. This is this is gold. And I think speaking about someone who, who is interviewing, at least for me in the beginning, I think I was too worried about having English as a second language or having accent. And you just said, like, we need to worry about things we can control. So I can control. I have accent. I will have accent forever. And I remember I was talking with someone in my team. She's America. And she was like, you have the best accent. I love when you speak. And I was like, what? Why? <laughs> People generally want to be nice. They don't want to be assholes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think, like, connect with those people. Let's build on, like, being kind to one another. Like, yeah. there's nothing wrong with having an accent. There's nothing wrong with not being from the U.S. There's nothing yeah. wrong with not coming from an Ivy League school. There's nothing wrong with not landing that, you know, that job that you really mm -hmm. wanted to, to get, like... There are second opportunities and if you if you connect and if you really build relationships with people like down the road, like you'll end up wherever you were meant to end up. Mm -hmm. As a recruiter, like I, I always was like, we're building teams, not companies, right? Like mm -hmm. I didn't I don't I didn't build Pinterest. I built great teams. I sought out people that like would have never applied to a to a position there because they didn't think that they were qualified for it. I gave them time to prepare. Like I gave them sufficient information to go through this like interview prep process and also like feedback, you know, when it didn't go as, um, as intended or as planned. Mm -hmm. And so I think being more forthcoming with like our, like this information and like with this time, it all like works out in the end and it really all like feeds into this, this greater like good, which is that we're all in this together like we're not competing like for money like in like in these tech scenes like we're really just representing and we're building and we're like showing up as ourselves and we're adding and you know when we're talking to like in latinas in tech specifically like i would always meet these events and like you would always like kind of identify yourself as like you know linda from pinterest or like daisa from twitter And I was always like, why, like, why does the company really matter? It's great to like identify like people like, oh my gosh, like maybe like if I want to position like at Twitter down the road, like I can reach out to Taisa. But like these companies don't make us better. Like we're making these companies better by truly showing up. And so um, utilizing these opportunities as we as we have, you know, I think mm -hmm. um, kind of my take on. Absolutely. And I imagine that volunteer work also plays a huge part in your life. Can you share with us more details about your experience volunteering and any tip for someone who wants to volunteer more? So I volunteered with Latinas in Tech um, on their board for almost two years. Uh, which was really gratifying. They're always looking for people to, even like with ideas on like, you know, upcoming events and like they're always asking for feedback. So um, volunteering like in, in, in those types of organizations which are dedicated to like increasing representation in like these, you know, spaces I think is important. Um, right now I uh, was approached a couple of weeks back by a founder uh, who's a black woman. Her name is her name is Jules and she is she founded a company, a nonprofit called Afara, which which stands for Alliance for Anti-Racist Action. And she wanted me to help build out the culture for the volunteers that are coming in and like, you know, giving much of their time and, and their talents to, to what we're, what we're looking to achieve, which is again, so really like bridge these conversations between people. They're taking a really multicultural approach, which I love a lot as well. Um, yeah. If you don't, 
build these cultures intentionally kind of just happens. In time, things might feel start feeling kind of funky. And if you don't have anybody to talk about or you feel like you cannot like bring these issues to the table, it can break. This is a work that I'm super passionate about. Um, and I really look forward to just building not only like the culture um, for the team, but like the strategy um, mm -hmm. and the foundations of like how we're going to approach like these transformational like experiences, like these like educational, like not only like not really company, just people, you know, like mm -hmm. families, like how, how can we facilitate like conversations between families, like post-election, not moderators in this space, but create like more leaders, like more change agents to, uh, again, like feel empowered and feel brave to, to say, Hey, like, let's have a, Hey family, like, let's come together. Let's have a talk. And like, let's, let's realize that we're like, we're, where all of this is coming from. Um, and where we can actually like steer it towards, which is unity and like, which is family. I think Yesterday was Veterans Day and I was really thinking on like the concept of family that was that I've grown up with through the years. And, you know, I was like, you know, I think Americans think of like family is within their four walls. And, um, you know, I think like as underrepresented minorities, like, you know, communities, like we think of like, like the bigger picture. And like the reality mm -hmm. is like, yes and no. Like I learned a very different concept of family through mm -hmm. my husband, mm -hmm. through his work in the military. Like. His brothers were, you know, the people in his in his platoon, in his training, like the people that he, that he was working with when he was deploying. It's a huge community. And, um, you know, just learning from him also just how to like wholeheartedly fight for what is like right was different. So I like I corrected myself. I was like, that's not true. Like his concept of family is not just me and him and our dog Teddy and his parents and you know like it's it's really broad mm -hmm. and that helped me broaden my understanding of it too mm -hmm. like when I think of family like I think of community like I think mm -hmm. of family of people like I just met like I think there are so many organizations that like need support right now um not only monetary but it's always better to give together so like if you can like have these conversations and like give as a family um, give your time, like give your, like, again, like your, your efforts. Um, mm -hmm. It really opens up a, a whole new like dialogue. So I, I really would suggest for people to like, I mean, I have, you know, a, a lot of like resources, but just find one and like engage your family to do it with you. Like your friends, uh -huh. like your community, mm -hmm. like to, to doing this together is, is really important. Like the, the Latino community foundation, I've been, um, you know, a part of their giving circle for a few years now. And it's like a, a monetary contribution. And it was like, at first, like I was kind of, it was kind of scary, but then I was like, when you give together, like in a circle, like the impact is so much bigger. Mm -hmm. And so it really doesn't, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> Looking through these organizations and picking one out as like a family, like is something that I, that I would encourage people to do. This is awesome. I, I love that. And what keeps you awake at night? Tell you so a lot of things. I'm, <laughs> I've always been a worrier. I've always had like this worry face since I was a little kid. I mean, COVID obviously is still like very much top of mind. I think um, what's happening here in the U.S. is really serious. And I don't think the U.S. is like such a huge leader for the American continent, really. Like, like in Mexico and like Brazil, like you're looking to this country, like to kind of lead, lead the way and pave the way. And so like, as things don't get better here, like they're not going to get better in our countries and seeing, you know, the numbers go up in Mexico and Brazil, thinking of like the disparity there as mm -hmm. well, like, which is, you know, really bad here too. Um, like just the inequity. Also just 
I feel there's a lot of division um, that's kind of taking people towards like a feeling of hate that makes me really nervous. Like the fact that people are so divided and so apathetic, just being like, I want out, like I want out of this country. Like I know the feeling like four years ago, like I felt like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen. But then you kind of keep going. And like, I feel like right now people are just not realizing that we're in this country and on this planet together. Like there's really no opting out. And so a lot of this stress that has, you know, accumulated for maybe like me not having these conversations or maybe me not speaking up at work or maybe me not, you know, asking for what I, I, I deserve, like, you know, that one time forever ago, like mm -hmm. it's led me to have a lot of accumulated stress that I would always hear like people say like, oh, you, you know, you look stressed and it's led me to have like fertility challenges, mm -hmm. to be honest. And so my husband and I have been like, you know, doing like in vitro for a couple of years and I'm really open about it because I know there are a lot of a lot of women that do this. And mm -hmm. I actually got a lot of support from friends that were like, hey, this is this was my journey. This was my path. And it was so helpful because I didn't feel alone. Mm -hmm. um, but really just starting to like do things for myself and like, mm -hmm. you know, go like starting therapy and like starting, like I said, just to take time off, like more intentional time off to just heal and like recover and like use my voice and like um, continue being an advocate and like helping and like creating this world that I really want. Like it's, it's really helping me. Um, and so like, you know, we're going to start a new cycle very soon, which I'm really excited about. But yeah, I, I, I worry a lot that, um, that my children would not be proud of their heritage, you know, that they would just mm -hmm. want to focus on one part of their identity and that I would at some point like lose stamina and like become apathetic and like be like, okay, you don't want to speak Spanish. Fine. Like it's on you. Like it's not, it's not, you know, like I think mm -hmm. it's on all of us and I just want to keep kind of the momentum that I think a lot of our communities have right now, like communities of color that came together during the election and mm -hmm. were like, you know, we have, we're doing this together um, and not taking credit from, you know, other people and like other communities, but really just like not competing, but just finding unity, not even only with communities of color. Like we need, we need allies and we need accomplices to like, mm -hmm. to really do this. And so I, um, I just pray that I have like the stamina to, to keep going and this is a part of what we talked about with like self-care like oxygen mask first this is this is not going to be the first bad year that we have I think um we've done a lot of like damage to this planet um and I think there's got to be a lot of healing um to like in regards to that as well as just like in regards to our communities and like the disparities and the injustices and a lot of correcting and that's going to be painful for a lot of people, but I think I just want everybody to like pace themselves and just um, find hope. Like keep, like my friend Javari said this the other day and he was like, we keep choosing hope. I, I do, like I really want us to keep choosing hope. We will. Thank you so much for being so open, for sharing your story. You brought a lot of interesting points that I feel our community, our Latinx community don't talk that much. And we need to have, we need to start to have uncomfortable uh, conversations. We need to talk about mental health and we need to talk about, let's go to therapy. Let's have those conversations. We need to be vulnerable together and learn with each other. And it's, it's okay to talk about that. It's actually really, really important. And we are kind of late, right? We need to start now. Absolutely. 
I mean, I, I think of how different, like maybe my upbringing would have been if my parents had like mm-hmm. gone to therapy. Mm-hmm. If they had normalized like these conversations, mm-hmm. you know, I think like we're picking up the slack for a lot of this work that just has gone undone, like, um, and just unseen for so long. Um, I think we're the generation to do it though. Like I'm mm-hmm. so hopeful, like millennials, elder millennials, like let's all come together and let's, let's do this. Yeah, absolutely. Let's keep choosing hope, Taisa. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Yeah, of course. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. That's it for today, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. And I would love to hear your thoughts. Please share with me, always with kindness, via Instagram, Twitter, email. Our handle is Latinx Empower in all social media channels. And please send us a recommendation via Apple Podcasts. I would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you.